We can never do justice to the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Keeping in mind our schedules, to keeping, keeping it brief, you'll select a few ayat from Surah Al-Imran. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins with the huruf al-muqatta'at, alif la mim. These are letters that Allah a'lamu bi muradihi bithalik. Allah alone knows the, the actual meaning of these letters. And this is a test for the believers that they believe in these kalimat, assigning the meaning of it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is a topic that is coming up in a few ayat later. Uh, down in ayat number 7 that is why I was uh, highlighting it that these are letters the meanings of which only Allah knows and we believe in them without knowing the true meaning knowing that this is within the knowledge of Allah or one opinion is a secret between Allah and his Rasul but the meaning has not been given to us perhaps in the akhirah this will maybe reveal to us and when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is mentioning the rewards for reciting the Qur'an, there sometimes is the question that if a person recites the Qur'an without understanding, without having the opportunity to learn the meaning, will he be rewarded or not? So of course it's ideal to learn the meaning. But many people throughout the Ummah, uh, they did not have the opportunity to learn Arabic. Or inshallah they're in the process of learning Arabic. So does that mean that if they are reciting the Qur'an without knowing the meaning, they will not get any reward. That's not the case. As some may uh, try to uh, mention, try to believe or try to convince others that your reciting the Qur'an in your tilawah is useless because you have not studied the meaning. So you are wasting your time. It's a futile exercise. Na'udhu billah, na'udhu billah. Because when Rasulullah was mentioning the rewards for tilawah uh, and he could have given example of any other word in the Quran, in the very well-known hadith, where he said that Man min hasana. Whoever recites a word of, of the Quran or a letter of the Quran will receive a good deed. amthaliha, and every good deed will, will be multiplied ten times. So he could have given example like Alhamdu, of Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And so for Alif is 10, and Lam is 10, and Ham is t- Ha is 10, and Mim is 10, and Dal is 10. So for Alhamdu, uh, there were 50 rewards. Five letters, 50 rewards. Or Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Or Iqra Bismillah Rabbika al First from the revelation perspective, or first from the Nuzul perspective, uh, Nuzulan or Tartib. The order of the Quran is there, the way that Rasulullah has given the order. And then there is the order of the revelation. The order of the surahs that is there and the order of the ayat within the surahs, these are all tawqifi, meaning these are determined by Allah and given to us by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa It's not haphazard and it's not based on the way Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu just decided to do it when he collected the Qur'an. Or Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu initially collected and thereafter Uthman radiallahu anhu did the second collection. So they didn't just put the ayats together whichever way they wanted to within a surah, nor did they put the order of the surahs whichever way they felt like. The order of the surahs is determined by Allah Himself. And Nabi would tell the katibin of Wahi, the scribes who were writing on the revelation, these ayats go between ayat so and so, ayat so and so. And this surah comes before the surah, after the surah. And he taught where the ayat endings are too. As Umm Salama radiallahu anha says, Can Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqra alhamdulillah rabbil alameen thumma yaqif, thumma rahmanir rahim thumma yaqif, thumma maliki yawm al-deen thumma yaqif. He would make a waqf, he would stop at the end of every ayah to indicate this is where you put an ayat mark. So there is a movement, some people, they want to, they say, oh, 
the reason I'm bringing this up, somebody will say, okay, you know, we already knew that. Well, the reason is there's all the different types of fitnas. One fitna is uh, that this order of the Quran, you know, let's just change it up and let's make it based on the order of revelation. So the first surah should be Iqra Bismi, then Surah Al-Muzammil, Surah Muddathir in that order. 114 surahs based on the order of revelation. So uh, there is a lot of hikmah and wisdom in the way the, the surahs are arranged. And that's another whole topic of discussion. And we cannot change the order given by Allah and His Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So anyway, if you picked the first ayah, you could have said Iqra, Hamza, Qaf, Ra, Hamza, right? Four letters, 40, or Alhamdulillah. But Islam Mim is neither here nor there. It's neither first of the revelation wise, it's neither first in compilation wise. It's surah number two. So why did he start? Why did he give the example of Alif Lamim? He said, "Look, Alif Lamim, Alifun Harfun, Walamun Harfun, Wamimun Harfun. For Alif, ten rewards. For Lam, ten rewards. For Mim, ten rewards. For Alif Lamim, you get thirty rewards." Now, the premise of the objectors against Tilawat of the Quran is that, hey, you're wasting your time because you don't know the meaning. The actual hadith where Nabi Wasallam is giving the rewards for reciting the Quran, he chooses which letters, the, the letters of which the meaning is unknown. Indicating one, it's like completely settles the debate right there. That if you don't know the meaning, doesn't mean you're not going to get the thawab because the actual letters in the hadith itself are alif la meem, that no one in the world, you wrote the tafsir, you don't know the meaning. What does the mufassir write? The Mufassir that writes the tafsir, he writes, Allahu a'lamu bi muradihi bidhalika. Allah alone knows the actual meaning of these words. Allahu la ilaha illahul hayyul qayyum. Then Allah Ta'ala says, talks about that He is the one who revealed the Quran and He is the one, Anzal al-Tawrat wal Injil, revealed the Torah in Injil min qablu prior to the Quran. Hudal uh, nas as a source of guidance for mankind. So who, who revealed the Torah, who revealed the Injil, who revealed the Zabur, Suhafi Ibrahim wa Musa, and Quran is the same Allah. Right, right in the beginning of Surah Baqarah, we learned that. Those who believe in that which has been revealed unto you and that which has been revealed prior to you. There's no that which will be revealed after you. So this was one of the debates with Ghulam Ahmad Al-Qadiyan, one of the scholars, he mentioned this. When he said, I have, revealed, I have received this revelation. He said, Allah Ta'ala says, There's no there's no revelation after Rasulullah That's why Umm Ayman anha, who had the unique honor of doing the khidmah of Rasulullah for 63 years. He's from the birth till his passing away. Because she was a young slave girl of Amina bint Wahab Ali, uh, And she was there with Rasulullah when he was born. She served him all the way. At the age of 6 years when he was coming back from Yathrib with his mother. Father passed away when he was unborn. And mother passed away in Maqam Abwa, in the middle of the desert. So Umayman carried the baby, six-year-old boy, to Makkah, back. And she served him all the way till the end. So Nabi Wasallam would go and visit her, because she was like a motherly figure. And when Abu Bakr and Umar, after the passing away of Rasulullah they said, let us go visit her. As the sunnah of Rasulullah was to visit her. When they went to visit her, she was crying profusely. So they tried to console her and say, Oh, Umayman, Nabi Wasallam is in a better place. So she said, she scolded them and said, you don't think I know that? You didn't even ask me why I'm crying. I'm not crying because he passed away. But I'm crying because from the time of Adam and Nuh salam, there was a Mubarak silsila in a chain where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would send down the revelation to Jibreel salam to the earth. 
And now Jibreel is never ever going to come back with wahi. Because the wahi has now come to a conclusion. That is what I'm crying about. And when she said that, uh, then she made them cry as well. So there is, Anzala Tawrata wal Injila min qablu. Before Allah revealed them, and now he, now he has revealed this Furqan. Furqan is the title of the Quran. What is the Furqan? The criterion. The criterion that distinguishes between haq and batil, truth and falsehood, legitimate, illegitimate, moral, immoral, decent, indecent, right? All of these things that are up for debate by the philosophers, and their philosophy keeps on changing with the times. Something is considered a disease in the past, mental disorder, and, uh, you know, the psychiatrists, they agree that this is a mental disorder, then there's a convention and they remove it, and that becomes something which was a perversion and now becomes something of pride, right? So what happens? There's, there's uh, no basis. Sometimes it depends with the way the wind blows. Something is indecent, something becomes decent. Some, and something which is um, a fitrah, naturally, some people are disinclined towards it or regard it to be wrong, it just becomes right. Right becomes wrong, wrong becomes right. This is based on human intelligence and our own understanding. Whereas... For the Muslims, it is very simple. We have a criterion. What is the criterion? The Furqan, the Quran. And it's timeless. And it's universally applicable. Universally applicable is umum of makan, meaning anywhere in the world. And timeless is umum of zaman, anytime. So anytime, any place. It is a Furqan. It makes it very clear for us these things. Some people are, na'udhu billah, marrying their siblings, like the Majusis. Because they said that's the best thing to do. You don't know your sister may go to someone else's house and they may mistreat her. So that's the best thing to do. Noble intention. And other people, they say that it's illegal in some states to marry one's cousin. This is an ayah we covered today in Surah An-Nisa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it very clear. Look. حُرِمَتْ عَلَيْكُمْ مَهَاتَكُمْ وَبَنَاتَكُمْ وَأَخْوَاتَكُمْ وَعَمَّاتَكُمْ وَخَالَاتَكُمْ وَبَنَاتُ الْأَخْيِ وَبَنَاتُ الْأُخْتِ وَمَهَاتُكُمْ وَاللَّاتِ يَرْضَعَنَكُمْ وَأَخْوَاتُكُمْ مِنَ الرَّضَاعَةِ وَمَهَاتُ نِسَائِكُمْ وَرَبَائِكُمْ وَاللَّاتِ فِي حُجُورِكُمْ وَنِسَائِكُمْ وَاللَّاتِ دَخَلْتُمْ بِهِنَّ فَإِن لَّمْ تَكُونُوا دَخَلْتُمْ بِهِنَّ فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْكُمْ إِنْ حَلَائِلُوا أَبْنَائِكُمُ الَّذِينَ مِنْ أَصْلَابِكُمْ وَإِنْ تَجْمَعُوا بَيْنَ الْأُخْتَيْنِ إِلَّا مَا قَدْ سَلَفَ These are mentioned and then وَلَا تَنْكِحُوا مَا نَكَحَ آبَاؤُكُم مِنَ النِّسَاءِ is also mentioned prior to that so these are the women you can't marry he says, "Hurimat alikum mahatukum. You can't marry your mother, ubanatukum your daughter, ukhwatukum your sister, ammatukum paternal aunts, khalatukum maternal aunts, ummahatunisaikum mother-in-laws, rabaibukum allati's daughter-in-law, stepdaughters, halailu abnaikum is daughter-in-law. On tajma abin ukhtein, you can't marry two sisters at the same time. Walatengi humana kahabaukum. You can't marry a stepmother. So these are outlined. Then after that, uhilla lakum awara adalikum." Beyond these, it's permissible to marry. So we don't have to worry. Some people are saying, oh, it's, it's, it's gross to marry a cousin. It's sick. That's a subjective thing. Or legally, it's impermissible in certain states. Other places, they're doing some other kinds of haram stuff. Uh, so which one is incest and which one isn't? Who determines that? The Furqan. The criterion. One's al Furqan. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, Look, he is the one who revealed the book. Minhu ayatun muhkamat. Certain ayat are muhkam. What are muhkam ayat? The meaning of which is known and it's clear and it's evident. Hunna ummul kitab. Hold on to that. That's the crux of the book of Allah. Follow that. mutashabihat. And then there are other ayat that are mutashabihat, meaning they're confusing in nature. Sometimes the meaning of them itself is unknown. That's what I was referring to a few moments ago 
alif la mim the huruf al muqattaat the meaning of which is unknown or there may be other mutashabihat the meaning of which is known the translation is known but the actual intended meaning is unknown the translation is known but what is meant by allah is unknown how could that be possible the, for example allah ta'ala when he's referring to his own being he uses different words the literal translation we know it like yadullahi fawqa aydihim the hand of allah is over their hands yawma yukshafu an saq or ar rahman ala al arsh istawa ar rahman the rahman ala al arsh istawa istiwa ma'lum wal kayf majhul wal imanu bi wajib wa sawalu anhu bid'ah as our salaf mentioned istiwa meaning sitting ma'lum the meaning of it is known uh Istawa means to sit. Ar-Rahman ala al-Arsh istawa. He is sitting on his throne. Now how is he sitting? The kayf is majhul. It's unknown. And iman on it is wajib. And sawal anhu continually getting rost in it and keep on investigating, trying to determine exactly what is the nature of the sitting. This is a bid'ah. So what do we do? When it comes to these ayat, the ummah went into two extremes. And the reality and the haq is in between. One are the mu'attila, the ta'atil. What do they do? They completely deny all these ayat. And the other extreme is that scene where they start giving physical shape to Allah. Both of them are incorrect. The reality is in the middle. Number one, we make tanzih. This is an aqidah issue. Tanzih means we say that Allah is pure from resemblance to any of His creation. None of the creation is like unto Him. No one is like unto Him. He is above and beyond any resemblance to His creation. That's called tanzih. We don't make we don't make tajseem giving a jism to Allah, nor do we do tashbih where we say he's similar to his creation. We make tanzih. But at the same time, we believe in these ayat. What does Allah Ta'ala say about that here? Those people in their hearts there is crookedness. They go after these ayat. They're creating fitna in the hearts of people, confusing their aqidah and trying to come up with different interpretations. The true meaning of these ayat, only Allah knows. Those who have depth of knowledge, they say, We believe in it. This is revealed by our Lord. And only those who have intelligence, they take heed. What is the dua they say? Or Lord, do not allow our hearts to become accursed after you have guided us. Grant us mercy from your side. Then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, speaks about the battle of Badr and the battle of Uhud. They mention in Ali Imran and also uh, in Surah An-Nisa in more detail. So this is one reference to the battle of Badr here. قَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ آيَةٌ فِي So there are two groups. There are many, many different ayat regarding Badr in the Quran, many ayat regarding Uhud and Khandaq and Ahzab, all of the different battles that took place in the era of Rasulullah, in the life of Rasulullah wasallam. In the battle of Badr, if there's just one line, like what's the khulasa, this, this, we see in the battle of Badr that Yawm al-Furqan, again the word Furqan, it was the day of criterion. Yawm al-Taqal Jama'an, when the two armies met, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed His help is with the believers. لَقَدْ نَصَرَكُمُ اللَّهُ بِبَدْرٍ this again is a recitation from tonight. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who came to your aid in the battle of Badr. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the entire scene such that the believers, uh, they did not have material means. 
whatever little material means they had, they could have prepared as well. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the scenario where they would not even take that with them. Were there only 313 Sahaba in Medina? No, there were more. Did they only have seven camels in Medina? They had more. Or they had uh, three, four horses? They had more. Couple swords? They had more. But that's all that they had with them. And why is that? Because they were going to just get uh, their stolen property back. Allah Ta'ala says you had intended that simple caravan that was carrying your stolen goods from Makkah your life savings you had left behind they had been taken over by the mushrikeen and they were going to do business with that invest that money to prepare a war machine so it was a legitimate military target not like the orientalists and the non-muslims they say was hijacking a caravan but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed the news to spread and reach Abu Sufyan as he was uh, passing through Medina since Rihlat al-Shita'i was safe. They had the caravans going to the north in the south in the summer in the winter to Sham in the north and Yemen in the south. And when they were going from Sham to Makkah, they have to pass by the area of Medina. So when he was going, passing through the area of Medina, he has his spies and they did their forensic studies and they would go to the oasis and he searched through the droppings of the camel in which he saw the seeds of the dates of Medina. So the spy went back and he said that the people of Medina are around because in the oasis so and so, I saw the droppings of the camel in which he did the forensic study and he determined that they were the seeds of the dates of Medina. So they are around in the area. So he got scared and he went by the Red Sea and he sent the messenger to Makkah and Abu Jahal came with an army of 1,000. Right. 700 on camels and 300 on horses and fully loaded and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala set the scene for the sahaba to be unprepared literally designed that way so that it becomes apparent once and for all that the help of Allah was not there just because they had the means or they got victory through the means but rather through the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he sent down the angels so Allah ta'ala speaks about that and there are many ayat that we hear we, saw, we read tonight we heard tonight about Uhad What's the lesson of Uhad? The lesson of Uhad is that uh, if there is even an outward disobedience of the order of uh, Rasulullah or the order of Allah for sure, then the help of Allah can be taken away. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about how, how great the pain was for the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. Seventy of them were captured, seventy of them were martyred, made shaheed, including the flag bearer Musa bin Umayr radiallahu anhu and Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib, Sayyidu Shahada, Amr Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the uncle of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the Asadullahi, Asadur Rasulihi, the line of Allah and Rasul. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala speaks about that in Surah Al Imran. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says, I mean, uh, I mean, if you want to go through the translation, what Allah Taala says, Am hasibtum an tadkhul jannah? Do you think you would have entered jannah? Walamma yalamillah waladina jahadu minkum wa yalamu sabirin without Allah making it apparent. For everyone, who are those who are striving in his path and who are those who are truly patient? And Allah Ta'ala is consoling the Sahaba. Do not grieve and do not be sad. You will be uh, victorious in Kuntum meaning if you have true Iman. And, and then he says that, look, if you are afflicted by wounds, your opponents, huh? they also are afflicted by wounds. But the difference is 
قَتْلَاكُمْ فِي الْجَنَّةِ وَقَتْلَاهُمْ فِي النَّارِ Those who died amongst you will enter Jannah and those who died amongst them will enter fire. So there's a big difference right there. وَتِلْكَ الْأَيَّامُ نُدَاوِلُهَا بَيْنَ النَّاسِ These are the nature, of, this is the nature of the days of this life. The nature of time is that sometimes you will be winning, sometimes you will be losing. But what counts is the ending. وَالْعَاقِبَةُ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ The best ending is for those who have taqwa. And Allah Ta'ala other places in Surah Al-Najam, He says, Sometimes He will make you laugh, sometimes He will make you cry. These are the different tests. The, t- the good times, are you going to make shukr? Bad times, are you going to have sabr? And uh, there was uh, a rumor that had spread that Rasulullah had become shaheed, martyred. Uh, so when that news spread, the Sahaba they lost hope, became full of despair, and some of them started fleeing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to that. وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is but a messenger. قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرَّسُولٌ Messengers have passed prior to him. أَفَإِمَاتَ أُقُتِلْ If he passes away or he's killed. إِنْ قَلَبْتُمْ عَلَىٰ عَقَابِكُمْ Are you going to turn on your heels and run away? وَمَنْ يَنْقَلِبَ عَلَىٰ عَقِبَيْهِ Whoever turns on his heel فَلَنْ يَضُرَ اللَّهَ شَيْئًا He's not harming Allah in the least. And Allah will reward those who are the thankful servants. وَسَيَدْزِ اللَّهُ وَمَا كَانَ لِنَفْسٍ أَن تَمُوتَ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ كِتَابًا مُؤَجَّلًا Everyone who's going to die, there's a time set by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَن يُرِدْ ثَوَابَ الدُّنْيَا نُؤْتِهِ مِنْهَا Whoever wants the reward of this dunya, he will be, Allah will grant him. وَمَن يُرِدْ ثَوَابَ الْآخِرَةِ Whoever wants the reward in the hereafter, نُؤْتِهِ مِنْهَا Allah will grant him from that. And Allah will reward those who are patient, who are thankful to him. So this ayah was revealed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah. The Mufassirun scholars of Tafsir and the scholars of Sirah, they say that the purpose of revelation of this ayah was to mentally prepare the Sahaba for the biggest tragedy which was going to eventually come. And that was the passing away of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And when that happened, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he was not able to accept that. And the five stages of grief that the psychologists mentioned, famous ones. The first one is denial. So he went into denial. He could not accept it. And he came and he said that, no, he has not died. Whoever said he died, then you know he will die. <laughs> All right. So uh, I will I will I will uh, behead him. So he said, "Don't say that. Don't say he died. Don't say he died. Don't say that. I will not accept that." So he was in a state of denial. And Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu was away. He he came to his daughter's house. He uncovered the forehead of Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam, kissed it, and said, "Tuttahiyyan wa tuttamiyyatan ya Rasulullah," because Rasulullah sallam passed away in the lap of his daughter Aisha radiallahu anha he said tibta hayyan wa tibta mayyatan ya Rasulullah you are beautiful in life and beautiful in death ya Rasulullah and despite the fact that he lost his best friend from, from prior to prophethood and his Nabi and his Rasul and his 18 year old daughter became a widow and he had the gham and hum all on his head on his shoulders but he took uh, control of the situation and he recited these ayat he came under the member he said oh Umar please come down and he recited, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرَّسُولٌ Umar anhu said, when I heard these ayat being recited, it was as if I am hearing it for the very first time. So these are the ayat about Uhad here. I jumped ahead. But Allah Ta'ala speaks about it in the beginning of Al-Imran as well. Badr and Uhad. Then Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala says, إِنَّ دِينَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ الْإِسْلَامِ The only true deen in the eyes of Allah is Islam. This is, should be an like, issue of not, you know, that there shouldn't be a debate about. But with all of this pantheism and this whole culture now, you know, interfaith is supposed to be about giving invitation towards your deen or at least expressing what you believe in. Now we're moving to all the paths lead towards God. They're all the same. The reality is, Whoever adopts any other religion besides Islam will not be accepted. Uh, 
So we should, you know, the true passionate Christian doesn't have any hesitation to, in saying that salvation lies in believing in Jesus Christ. The only begotten Son of God was sent down and, and, he was, uh, and God put him on the cross and he died for our sins. And whoever believes in him to be his Savior will enter paradise. And if you don't believe in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, then you don't want to have salvation. But the Muslim is now becoming so weak, he can't even say that the true way of najat and success and salvation is Islam. This is what Allah Ta'ala says here. That in the deen in the Allah Islam, there is only one deen in the eyes of Allah that is acceptable and that is the deen of Islam. Then Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala speaks about those famous ayat about His greatness. Oh Allah, you grant the kingdom to whom you wish and you take away the kingdom from whom you wish. You grant honor to whom you wish. You grant disgrace to whom you wish. And you are the one who brings the night into the day and the day into the night. You bring the life You bring the living from the dead and the dead from the living. And you grant the risk You grant the risk to whomsoever you wish without measure. This reminds me of a very ajeeb, <laughs> this, uh, the same juz in the, in the few ayat before that Allah Ta'ala said, you know where it says here, You bring the living from the dead and the dead from the living. If you go back in the same juz, Allah Ta'ala says, do you know the story of the one who was debating with Ibrahim السلام, because he was granted kingdom and he was so arrogant? When Ibrahim السلام, told him, look, my Lord is the one who gives life and death. Right? He said, no, I can give life and give death too. So what did he do? He brought a prisoner that was on death row, was supposed to be killed, and he said, okay, you are free. And he brought another free, innocent man walking out on the street. Go grab the first innocent person you find. Soldiers, go grab him from the street. They went outside, any random guy was going shopping to bring food for his family, they grabbed him, bring him. This one is living? Yeah, well now, behead him and kill him. I can give life, I can give death. So, what Ibrahim Islam say? My Lord is the one who brings the sun to rise from the east. You bring it, make it rise from the west. To the disbeliever, he, be, he got lost. He had no answer. This was who? Nimrud. One interesting point here is that when he said, I give life and I give death, the guy who's on death row is still alive by releasing him and saying, okay, you're not going to be killed. How did you give a life to a dead person? Did he do that? He didn't do that. So Ibrahim could have told him that you're completely wrong. How did you give uh, life to a dead person? Why don't you go, let's go to the graveyard, pick up a dead body and bring it to life. Show me that one. But what do we learn? The hikmah of Ibrahim is this person is so foolish, there's no point engaging with him and explaining to him the error of his ways. Because he's never going to accept that. So he completely dodged it, sidestepped that whole discussion. He didn't say, hey, what are you talking about? You're not uhiyi wa umit. He just ignored it. He said, all right, all right, fine, whatever, leave that. This is sometimes what you have to do. Because if you, uh, depending on who you're speaking to, if they're not, if they don't have the, any basic fundamentals, they don't have any basic premises, understanding of the deen, and you try to explain to them, then it's you know, just a lost cause. So you just say, okay, it's fine, and then you go on to another topic. You explain in a different way. One of my students who was an imam some time back in one of the masjids, he called me and said, Musa, please help me out. My board is telling me I have to give a khutbah that it's 
Farad to take the vaccination for COVID. Shar'an for Farad. Right? This takes us back to remind us about the pandemic days. Right? We forgot about it as if it never happened. How was Ramadan? Completely dark here. Everything closed. You see all the parking lots full and everything. 60 cars were sent back on the first night. Everything, nothing. Zero people. There were three people here. And we used to say, oh, these are stories we're going to tell our children one day. Or grandchildren. Or great-grandchildren. But we forgot about it already. We literally forgot about it. The whole world came to a standstill. No tawaf. No one in a roda. Our, teach, our friend who was there, Mufti Abdullah Jina in Medina, he said that, you know, when your father or, or mother gets mad and they close the door and say, Gillas, don't talk to me, that's how he felt. Because in Medina, every day would go to Rasulullah Sallallahu Every day I would say, Assalamu alaikum ya Rasulullah. Now, we can't even go. He's Gillas, I don't want to see you. That's how I feel that Rasulullah Sallallahu is as if he's saying, don't even come near me. And the place of Fitna, Times Square, Las Vegas, the strip, everything. All the lights turned off. Masajid, to Las Vegas. It's so bad. <laughs> Saying it in one breath, one sentence. Whole world came to a standstill and we forgot about it. It just happened so recently and it's like out of our minds. Anyway, during that time or when the, it just started the vaccines, then he was told, give a, fatwa, uh, give a khutbah that it's followed for everyone to take vaccines. So this is what the board told him. Now, one response is that, you know what? For something to be farad, you have to give the dalil from what? Quran, Kitabullah, Sunnah Rasulullah, or Ijma' al-Ummah, or Qiyas. This is the usul al-Fiqh and everything. Do you think that's going to fly? What's going to happen? You're fired. Right? That's what's going to happen. So the thing is, you can't, you can't engage with the people in that way. I told him. I said, just explain to them in this way, that uh, if it's farad, then not taking it is haram. It's a major sin. Right? Everything that's farad is haram, everything haram is farad. Like it's farad to perform salah, so it's haram to miss salah. It's uh, haram to drink wine, so it's farad to abstain from drinking wine. So if it's farad to take the vaccine, it's haram not to take the vaccine. Got it? So, uh, so whoever doesn't take the vaccine is committing haram. And whoever refuses to take the vaccine and dies, is committed suicide. Like for example, drinking water. If you go on a hunger strike, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to eat. And maybe you're not, may Allah protect them, you're not protesting, you're not a... Prisoner in Guantanamo or somewhere. You're okay. And you just say, I, I'm on hunger strike. I'm going to not drink. I'm not going to eat. Then what happens? You die. So that's what? Suicide. Or somebody says, I'm not going to breathe. So he ties a bag on his head. Something like that. He dies. That's suicide. So if a person says, it's farad to drink. Yes. It's farad to eat. Yes. And you don't. It's haram. Therefore it's suicide. So if somebody doesn't take the vaccine. Oh, board of the masjid so and so. Do you think... You want to say that suicide. If it's suicide, then the imam shouldn't even leave the janazah. So what are we going to do? What do you guys say? Think about this through. Then they're like, oh my God. Yeah. If somebody doesn't take the vaccine, it's not suicide. So therefore, it's not far, uh, then it's not haram uh, to t- avoid it. I mean, it's not haram to not take it, right? If it's not haram to not take it, then it's not for us to take it. He's like, oh yeah. Okay, so they understood. They said, okay, fine. You can recommend it. Yes, we recommend it too. You recommend it because, uh, you know, there may, there may be, there must be, you know, uh, Allah Ta'ala may protect us through that. But you cannot say it, it's follow. So we had the whole mashara, like what are we going to do afterwards? You know, some people are saying, make it mandatory on all the students and all the staff that they have to be vaccinated. Some said, no, there are some people who don't believe in vaccine, what are we going to do? So then we came up with the middle solution. We said that, okay, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to be subjected to 
Can you believe it? P- PCR test, remember that? <laughs> Putting it up in the nose? I forgot about all these things. Right? And if you are, if you are uh, not vaccinated, you have to undergo what? Weekly PCR testing. Somebody said, Naak mein gusarte gusarte, jab naak mein dam ho jayega, naak mein dam ho jayega, to phir wo, wo bhi vaccinated ho jayenge. Do you remember these to put it all the way up? Is, the tears used to come out. Allah Akbar. So, as we, jab naak mein dam ho gaya, this is literally and figuratively both. To keep on having the hassle of the test and then they'll say, forget it. I'll get vaccinated. Once you get vaccinated, you don't have to be subjugated to that weekly test. So these are the things that happen. Anyway, this is where we have uh, this ayat here. After that, subhanAllah, Allah Ta'ala mentions, you know, we, we are worried about our children. So what happens? We come and we say, oh, my son, you know, my daughter, na'udhu billah, eloped, ran away. What can I do? You're coming now. Or my son, you know, is... Uh, He's uh, hardcore on drugs, he's addict. We're trying to make the tarbiyah at this point. It's so late. Somebody came with his, student, with his son, seven years old, to the shaykh and he said that, can you please, you know, I want to be early in the game, start the tarbiyah now. What did he say? The tarbiyah, you're so late. The tarbiyah started when you selected the spouse. And how, what was the ahwal and the condition and your walima? How many commandments of Allah were broken? And how much sunnah was followed? So look at this. Advanced fikr is right here. Allah Ta'ala says, Remember the wife of Imran. What was her name? Hanna bint Fakhuda. She said, I dedicate for you that uh, fetus that is developing in my womb is dedicated for your khidmah. Accept this unborn child for the khidmah of the deen. So she already dedicated the unborn fetus. And she wanted uh, this baby to be uh, a khadim of Masjid al-Aqsa, an imam. And if Allah Ta'ala granted Nubuwa to be a Nabi, otherwise to be an alim, a rahib in the Masjid al-Aqsa. But when she delivered the baby, she said, oh, it's a girl. You know, it's always, it's a boy or it's a girl. Oh, it's a girl. Wallahu a'lam wa Allah knew what is the nature of this girl. Now, the ayah should have been, This girl is not like the boy she wanted. But Allah Ta'ala switches it and says, That, yani, the boy that she was desiring is nowhere near the girl that she got. Instead of saying, Oh, this girl is not like the boy. The girl, what is she going to do? She can be the Imam of Nowadays, 2030. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, now you never know what's going to happen by 2030. But anyway, nowadays 2023, it's hap- some places happening. The first one was Amina Wadud, and then now after that, so many of these fitinat. But uh, in that time, it was understood. In this, by the way, like since we talked about in uh, Orthodox, right? The Orthodox, Subhanallah, Orthodox rabbi, rabbis, they, 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 when we would have meetings, they would not shake the hands. Of the woman, and they would turn their face, and then the Muslim imams would be sh- not shaking the hands, hugging the woman, hugging. I was actually kissing the woman in the meetings. You think it's crazy? It's a real story because when I was part of the interfaith partnership in city Fulan, then what happened is I had a whole tartib. They knew that. Oh, okay, Imam Munhajuddin, he doesn't shake hands with women. Then one year we. 
the different faith, there were 31 faith groups. One, one time it was our faith group, so we invited, or some other imams, have, they chose to invite the Grand Mufti of country so-and-so, one of the Muslim countries. When he came, so uh, the, the executive director of the Interfaith Partnership in the banquet, annual banquet, she was giving an award. So she was giving the award to the Grand Mufti. She knows that I don't shake hands with women because Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned in Sahih Bukhari, "Ma masat yadu Rasulillahi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam yada imra'atin qatu." Aisha radiallahu anha narrates in the Hadith of the Bayah that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would give bayah to women. He says the hands of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam never touch the hand of any other woman. It's clearly mentioned in Sahih Bukhari. Um, so. Uh, he, she was giving the award like this and was expecting to take it. So in front of this, on the stage in front of everyone, he hugged her and he kissed her on both sides of the cheek. And then he took it. The Grand Mufti. That's part of his title. So then she was shocked. What's going on? Where is the consistency, right? You say this and he says that. I was one time in a Q&A panel with and um, somebody asked a doctor in the car asked the, the respected celebrity speaker nationally renowned he said that um, when I treat my patients you know uh, is it okay if I shake their hands um, so then the speaker said I believe in the healing power of touch you, you should hug your patients female patients so I was sitting there so I was thinking no if I'm just sitting there I didn't answer it but I'm, if I remain silent what happens then it seems like I approved it it's very awkward because the person is uh, like six inches away from you on the table. Like a long table like this. Imagine he's sitting right there. Pretty famous speaker. So uh, I said, yeah, I just have one comment. I took it. I said that, subhanAllah, healing power of touch. I said, Who, who's, whose touch could be more healing than that of? Rasulullah So wouldn't his ha- uh, touch be more healing? So what does... What does he uh, mention about his hand? He never touched the hand of any other woman. Why didn't he touch them by? Why didn't he heal them by touching them? So over here, she, Allah Taala switches it. Says, The boy you wanted is nowhere near the girl you got because this girl, what's her name? Maryam. Maryam. Her name is Maryam and I have uh, granted her and her, child, her son, her progeny protection from shaitan al-Rajim. So Zakariya was responsible to take care of her and she was in that secluded area, Bayt al-Maqdis and she was doing ibadah of Allah. When Zakariya would come to see her, what happened? What does he find? He finds the fruit out of season. Nowadays what happens is that the globe, just to remember back from school, remember that there's the equator. Then there's northern hemisphere and southern hemisphere. So when the northern hemisphere is towards the sun, the summer in the north, there's winter in the south. And when the southern hemisphere is towards the sun, there's summer in the south and winter in the north. So June, July, August used to be the coldest, severe cold when we were studying in South Africa. And, and December, January was the hottest months. So we lived like that for years in the southern hemisphere. So that's why when you go to the marketplace, throughout the year, because of global uh, you know, supply chain, you can find the fruits all the time. 
When it's, when it's winter here, the summer somewhere else. From South America, we get all the fruits. But there's no global supply chain, all of that going on. Where are you getting this from? Off-season fruits. She said it's from Allah subhanahu wa Allah grants whomsoever he wants without measure. So Zakiriya said, when Allah can grant fruits without measure, without out of season, he can grant children out of season. So when he saw this miracle, it strengthened his iman. He said, Oh Allah, grant me righteous offspring. You are the one who listens to the dua. I mean, I, the time has gone too long, but the story continues to be continued. But I don't think I will continue here. You continue it. Look at it in Surah Al Imran. I mean, it's a long story. It's a beautiful story. It's like a cliffhanger. Leave you hanging on the cliff. I don't know where to stop. Uh, maybe this ch- chapter here is The angel came. The angel came to him and called unto him, When Zakariya was standing and making salah, in the mihrab. What's the mihrab? Place of harb, place of battle. Battling the nafs and battling shaitan. So that's the mihrab. Place of harb and battling nafs and shaitan. He was performing salah in the mihrab. And he said, Allah is giving you the glad tidings of Yahya. He is going to be a Nabi, he's going to be a leader in Hasura, and he'll be chased. There's only two prophets who never got married. Yahya alayhi salam and Isa alayhi salam. Otherwise, marriage is not a sunnah of Nabi sallallahu alayhi salam, but sunnah of all the anbiya. All the prophets had wives and children. So then he said, How will I have a child? Become old, and my wife is barren. Then Allah Ta'ala gave him a sign. And the story continues with. Maryam alayhi salam, then her child, Isa alayhi salam, his prophethood, his going up back to Allah, inni mutawafika wa rafi'uka ilayya. And then the Christians in the time of Rasulullah sallam of Najran, they came and they debated with him. And Nabi sallam debated, explained to them, at the end there was mubahala. You know what the mubahala is? Mubahala challenge? Nabi sallam said, okay, enough is enough. فَقُلْ تَعَالَوْ كَمْ نَدْعُوا أَبْنَاءَنَا وَأَبْنَاءَكُمْ I will come with my kids, you come with your kids. Hassan, Hussein, Ali, Fatima. With my wife and your wives. I'll come, you come. What are we going to do? Have a duel? No. I will make dua, may the curse of Allah descend on who's lying. You make dua, may the curse of Allah descend on who's lying. And we'll see who will be destroyed. What happened? Do you think they came up? They didn't show up. They ran away from there. So this is the mubahala challenged, mentioned here. And they'll continue on. May Allah Ta'ala grant us tawfiq. Surah Al-Imran has a lot of detail about the Nasara, just like Surah Baqarah has a lot of detail about the Yehud. Allah Ta'ala explains both categories. Ghayr al-Maghdubi alayhim is mentioned in Baqarah, al-Dalin is mentioned in Al-Imran. May Allah Ta'ala allow us to study more in detail all of these beautiful stories and lessons. لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ عِبْرَةٌ لِيُؤُلِ الْأَلْبَابِ They are lessons for those who have intelligence. May Allah Ta'ala grant us that understanding. وَأَخْرُ دَعْوَانَا الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ الْعَلَيْهِ